0: Rockheads, watch out for that chicken. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 349 with guest Scott Hunter, recorded live Tuesday, May 6th, 2008. .NET ROCKS is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, the NRTV style. Order your copy now at www.franklin's.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man whose high school girlfriend was a dynamic data, so we gave it a boot. Carl Franklin.
1: Thank you very much. Welcome back to DotNet Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. It's another week. Uh, Richard and I just got back from TechEd, but I'm doing the intro solo today. And uh, all I got to say is we had a fabulous time at TechEd and uh, just great shows coming up that we recorded live there on the stage at the TechEd Online stage. Go to the TechEd Online website and you can check out some of the videos that we did also interviews. Uh, Of course, Speaker Idol was a great time. I'm sure you'll hear about more about that on Thursday when Richard joins us, but now I just want to read one email that we got. Uh, it says, you made my tech ed, and this is from Jim Altricher. Altricher. Jim, I'm sorry if I mangled your last name, but anyway, he says, Carl and Richard, precedence order not implied. I just wanted to take a moment to thank the two of you for all the great work you do with PWA Productions and let you know that you made my tech ed. Many of the sessions that were of interest to me involved topics and speakers I had heard on .NET Rocks. It was a substantial benefit to have listened to the speakers on .NET Rocks and at least have been introduced to the technology prior to coming to TechEd. That made it much easier to keep pace with the content of the sessions and gave me the ability to understand the details of the presentations and ask intelligent questions of the speakers. So I say thank you for letting me get the most out of my TechEd experience. I also have to give some props to Ted Neward and his sessions on F-Sharp for being the most interesting sessions of the show out of a very, very competitive field. Expert F-Sharp was the only book I felt the need to drag home on my shoulder. I would also credit the Micro Framework team for having one of the most interesting new Microsoft technologies. If you've lived the pain of embedded development, the .NET Micro Framework is the kind of technology that makes you want to build your own home automation app for the sheer pleasure of it. You can almost hear your wife saying, tell me again why you're rewiring the dishwasher. Both of these were prime examples of the technologies I first encountered on .NET Rocks and was able to follow up at TechEd. I guess that would make this part of the email where I ask for more shows on those topics. Some other topics uh, in areas I'd love to see covered in future shows are data access methodologies and performance tradeoffs. Entity framework, link to SQL, old-fashioned SQL SP encapsulation, store procedure encapsulation. Each has its advantages. It would be great to hear a SmackDown format, which has gotten very popular, I might add around choosing the appropriate data access strategy for your implementation in mixed-mode systems. Thanks again, and keep up the great work, Jim. Jim, what can I say? Thanks for the great feedback, and a .NET Rux mug is headed your way. Richard, our guest today is Scott Hunter. Scott is currently a program manager on the ASP.NET team. He spends a lot of his time working on server-side data, and dynamic data is the current feature around this area. Scott has over 20 years of experience in the software industry, with the last seven being focused on the .NET platform and building sites with ASP.NET. Welcome, Scott Hunter. Hi, guys. Another brilliant mind on Scott Guthrie's team. Are you part of the Ninja Army?
2: Another Scott on the uh, Scott (laughs) Guthrie
3: team, yes. Yeah, one of entirely too many.
2: One of entirely too many. Yes.
1: You uh, you must really, really love your job. If if I was going to work in Microsoft, I would want to work for Scott Goo.
2: That's actually what brought me to Microsoft in the first place. Was uh, um, you know, if you look at the last you know couple of years of of how much um, this team especially has opened up, uh, you know, Microsoft has always been known as this you know behemoth that. Walks one way and doesn't listen to, you know, the customer or whatever. And, and I think that philosophy is changing inside of Microsoft. And, and you really see that from our team. Um, when you look at things like, uh, you know, that we built Silverlight, which works on, uh, Apple Max. Uh, you know, we're supporting that as well on, on Linux, uh, by, by supporting the, uh, the guys working on Moonlight. Um, and, uh, you see a lot of that as well, even with our team. I mean, uh, one of the things that we're working on right now is we're working on uh, .NET 3.5 SP1. Uh, and I think you're probably going to see somewhere on the order of three or 400 fixes in the ASP.NET area in that version of the framework. And most of that is driven by customers. Um, awesome. That's us, that, that's looking at the uh, the bugs that come through the Connect site and responding to our customers. And, uh, you know, that's what brought me to Microsoft was, you know, I wanted to work you – know, you can't imagine a better place to work if you want to do technology work. I mean, some of the smartest people in the world are here. Um, and at the same time, you know, uh, this team especially, we're focusing on our customers. And uh, that's what brought me here.
3: It, it really, I, I, folks, and you've only been with Microsoft for about a year,
2: right? That's correct. I've been here for, I joined last August.
3: Wow. And, it, and everyone I talk to comes in like this, which obviously, and I'd love to talk about a little bit about where you came from too. They come in because they feel like they can make a difference.
2: True. Um, I you come in because you feel like you can make a difference, and honestly, um, I feel that I have made a difference already. Because as I was saying, you know, we we fixed a lot of those bugs um, that uh, or or just you know bugs or comments that people had, had given us, and and some of those issues are issues that I ran into myself when I was you know outside the team, and it's been really fun to actually come in and, and watch some of this stuff come through and see the same bugs and issues that I was dealing with as a as a .NET developer come through here and. And see us actually work on them, and and there's some of them that we did not get into to .NET 3.5 SP1, uh, but we're going to try to do in 4.0 um, when that comes. So, um, you know, we don't just throw that stuff away. We are listening to the customers, and that's that's what's fun.
1: So let's talk about dynamic data.
2: Yeah, dynamic dynamic data is uh, um, you know, but I want to I want to preface that, and and you know, there's a lot of talk uh, on our team right now about the uh, MVC project that's going on, right. um, and one of the things that we want to make sure that everybody's aware of is is that um, MVC is is a is a is a framework for building applications in a different way than WebForms has has typically built um, applications. So with WebForms you've got the postback model, you've got the eventing model. Um, it's it's targeted to a particular type of developer maybe, um, and MVC is targeted to a, a different type of developer. And and one of the things that that uh, we always want to clarify is that uh, just because NBC is coming out, it does not mean that web forms is going away as a, as a programming model. Yeah. And uh, hopefully when people see dynamic data, they'll see that it's a, it's a large investment back into web forms. Um, and we don't plan on getting away from web forms either. I mean, there's obviously it resonates with a certain type of customer and NBC is going to resonate with a different type of customer. And, and our goal is to support, support both of those customers as best we can. So um, just wanted to kind of lead in with, with that on dynamic data. And, 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 um, what our, what our goals were with dynamic data was, you know, if you look at building a website today with ASP.NET, let's, let's say you're going to build a data driven website. Um, you're going to start off with maybe a database. Um, you're going to build some business objects around that. And then if you say, hey, I, just to get started, I want to build an application and, and be able to start editing my data. What does that entail? You know, that entails probably creating a, a page for each table in your, in your database. And then in that page, you're going to, bring one of our server controls, maybe it's a, a grid view, um, maybe it's a, a list view or a details view or whatever. You're going to drag it on the page, and then you're going to hook a data source up to that. And, you know, let's say your database has 10 or 15 tables. Uh, that's actually a fair amount of work. And yeah. one of one of our goals with dynamic data was to say, okay, I just want to get started, and I want something to work right out of the gate. How can we make that a better experience for you?
1: So this is and sort of the you know uh, I would I guess I could say you were inspired by Rails maybe
2: correct I would I would say we took some inspiration from Rails um, who has a a kind of scaffolding mechanism like ours as well but I think we tried to extend beyond uh, the Rails from the standpoint that uh, we want to give you this this instant website but we want to do it in a way that that if you decide you want to change it uh, alter the way it looks alter the behavior. Um, you have a, a way of falling backwards without throwing the whole thing away. And uh-huh. I, I think that's one of the, one of the limitations of, of some of the rail scaffolding was, you know, you run a command line utility and it spits out a website, and that's great. But once you go beyond that, you're really walking away from what was generated from you. So
1: are you saying you. you have a model that goes um, backwards as well as forwards in terms of yeah. being able to undo things and, uh, and, and, and go the other way?
2: Yeah, so so I'll, I'll kind of explain how it works, and 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 I'll explain how you could kind of kind of go backwards. So okay. um, the, the way you typically start one of our projects is um, the first thing, obviously, you need a database, and then what really allows us to do what we do is um, we want some rich CLR objects that we can crawl across and look at, and and that's how we kind of understand your database. And so in in Visual Studio 2008, we introduced uh, Link uh, and Link to SQL, and you know that that for people that haven't seen that before, what you do with Link and Link to SQL is um, you can basically go into a designer and drag the tables from your database in into the designer, and what it does is it goes and creates CLR objects for each of your tables. Mm-hmm. And this is something that you typically would do by hand, and and uh, it, it kind of does this for you. And that's what we base ourselves on. Um, we base ourselves on those CLR objects. We can we can use reflection to look at those and try to figure out you know what your tables and and how they relate to each other and stuff. Um, I also want to mention that that we do support the uh, Entity Framework.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, that's going to be out in .NET 3.5 SP1, mm-hmm.
4: um,
2: and so we fully support that framework as well. And we have hooks to allow other um, OR mapping technologies work with our with our stuff as well.
3: So we think um, in Hibernate there.
2: We don't have an in Hibernate, uh, version yet. Um, but we have done one, uh, uh Astoria is another technology of ours right. that's, that's coming out in .NET 3.5. Uh, we've done a, a little provider for Astoria. Um, we've done, uh, there's, there's another open source or, or project out there. I think it's called LLBGEN.
3: Yes. Um, yeah. We've had, um, Franz Buma on the show before talking about LLBGEN.
2: Yep. Yeah. So, uh, we already support LLBGEN completely. Um, uh, that was the first, he, he actually was the, the first person, uh, third party, uh, OR mapper that came and worked with us and, uh, helped us get all that working. And so, uh, we work with him today as well. So, uh, hopefully in, in Hibernate would be a great one to go out there and get as well. And, and I've looked around. I haven't talked to the team yet, the, the in Hibernate team yet, but I, I, do plan on talking to them because they have all the components we need. You know, they've got the framework and, uh, we currently need a data source and there is an in Hibernate data source out there as well. So I, I think sure. all the pieces are in place. Um, to basically build a little provider and get us working on it in Hibernate as well. But that's that's so your your first step is building one of these these OR models, um, be it linked to SQL entity framework or uh some third party one. And then what you'll do is you'll open up your global ASAX file and um, you'll register that with dynamic data. Uh so when you create a dynamic data project, there's actually a new project type inside of Visual Studio yep.
4: um,
2: that'll that'll kick all the files in for that and and your global ASAX will have a a pre-done call for register in there. You just got to, you know, uncomment the line and, and put your data model in there. At that point, um, without writing a single line of code, if you run the application, uh, it'll take you to a to a page uh, that lists all the tables in your database. If you click one of those tables in your database, you, you might be surprised that it takes you to a really nice-looking page that has a filter across the top of the screen for each of your foreign keys and any boolean columns. So we're we're going looking at the data model and going, huh, what can we filter this by? and and providing the filter options. Nice. We also do full we also do full CRUD operations. So you get all the huh. all the uh you know, insert, update, edit, delete, um, right right out of the gate. Um, and we do smart things like, you know, obviously if you're showing a, a, a table in your database, you probably don't want to sh- show the foreign key IDs. Yeah. You'd no. much rather have us have us go look in the in the foreign key uh table and and bring out the pretty name. And so we automatically do that as well. Um and then one of the things that I, I really think that's cool that we, we do is, is we've enhanced all the all the validations. So you know, once you've you've got this application, you have written not haven't written a single line of code, if you go and edit one of those rows, um, because we're now looking at the database and making smart choices, we're gonna go, okay, well let's, let's say you have a, a field in your in your data, database that uh text takes text and it takes twenty characters. Um well if you start editing uh at twenty characters we're gonna stop, stop accepting input and limit you to 20 characters. If you have a column in your database that's not nullable, we're automatically going to stick a required field validator in there and, and make somebody fill that field in. Um, so I, I, I think we're really enhancing the data controls by by making these smart choices for you, um, you know, so you don't have to just do all the things that you would manually do. Okay, I've got a, a nullable column, so i a not nullable column, so I've got to go put a validation control in. Oh, I've got a, a link, so I'm going to go put a a link issue uh, a link validation in um it's, it's uh I mean these are all the button. rote
3: tasks that we do every time we build a basic data access oriented web page
2: That's correct and and uh we're trying to 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 do that for you automatically and and at the same time uh not make you feel like you've lost any control either so this is um, everything that I'm talking about is is customizable as well um, is, it, we'll, is it we'll is it visible?
3: Could I just go in and edit the code out, or is it, it I sort of more under the covers, and I have to go in and switch it off and on?
2: Um, it it actually is it's it's visible, um, and and that's that's going to lead me down to the next kind of major pillar of of what dynamic data is. So you know we we kind of talked on the first pillar, which is you know you create this data model, you register it, and you get this full application that, that kind of runs right. Um, and, and and the the next cool part of what we do with with uh, all these controls, the, the main controls we focus on are the grid view, the details view, the form view, and the list view is, you know, if you've used a grid view today, um, you've probably found it a challenge to go in there and change the way it renders a column. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got this, it, this preset group of fields. There's like a bound field. There's an image field. Uh, there's, a, there's a few of these that are, that are preset into the, into the framework. Um, and if you want to go beyond that, you've got to create a templated column and then put all your controls in by hand. So if you really want to customize a grid and make a grid look really good, you're probably going to go and template size every single column and and put all these controls in by hand. And so uh, one of the other pillars of of dynamic data is um, l- let's get away from that and let's let's make each of the these data controls actually use templates. So what ah, we've good. done is is it is in a dynamic data application, you're going to, you could go in and there'll be a dynamic data directory in your project. And inside of that directory, there'll be a directory called field templates.
1: Well, that's the only way to do it. I mean, if you're not using templates, you're really limiting yourself to the default behavior. So I'm, I'm personally really happy to hear that.
2: Yeah. Correct. As you said that's you know, in, in the past, a lot of our controls have been just so baked in that either it does exactly what you want
3: or or you can't do it.
2: One or the other. Exactly. You're. You're. Are you back yourself all the way out, and you end up writing, you know, three, tw- two or three times as much code right. to accomplish the same and thing. Creating and creating
1: so, all those templates for each column in a grid, especially if you've got a lot of columns, is tedious. Yeah. Well, it's and, often and it, felt like we. Yeah. We're either fully committed to the to the
3: web form experience, or we're everything is a custom control. There's yeah. really almost no middle ground at all.
2: Exactly. I, I would. I would agree. That's exactly the idea that we're trying to attack. And and. You go, wow, that's not a big deal for one page. But my oh, but huge as t-
3: soon as a site with any scope at all.
2: That's correct. I mean, you need 15 tables or 20 tables or 100 tables, and and this and the scope just goes, you know, as you said, through the roof. Um, and, and so this this concept of what we call a field template, um, what we do is by default we name these things based on their type. So you're going to have one, you're going to have an int-, int field template. You're going to have a text field template. You're going to have a Boolean field template. You're going to have a date-time field template. And basically what we do is is when we try to display one of these types, we go in this directory, see if we can find the type name in the in the directory. And if we do, we render it with that template. Uh, we ship all the source code for these templates directly in, in, uh, in the framework. So when you build a dynamic data project, you get this dynamic data directory with all the source code for these things, which means to your question earlier, what if I want to change them? Well, if you want to go change the way we display and validate dates, then just go and edit the uh, date-time ASVX file in the field template directory. We also have a date-time under edit, which is the template we use for editing, and we have a date-time under insert. Um, you can do an insert version of these templates as well, which is for inserting. Um, some of the custom control vendors, like uh, Telerik uh, and Peter Blum, have actually used this stuff where they can go and, and say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to give create a, our own set of field templates based around our control sets. Right. Which means if you're if you're building your site with teller controls, now what you do is you start using dynamic data, you copy their field templates from their website into your uh, field template directory, and then suddenly, you know, when your grid shows a, a, a date-time box, it's going to show it using their control with a pop-down calendar and all that kind of stuff across your entire website. So you didn't have to go and modify each page and do this, you know, on a page-by-page basis. You just do it in one directory, it affects your entire website. So, but I uh, see
3: you could start building up a standard look with different kinds of controls. I mean, I really think of stuff like Telerik's text editor for a large text field, so that you would you'd be able to say, well, for a regular text field, I want you to use this control. For the bigger one, I want you to use this. And as I build the suite of templates, every time one of my devs goes to build a page, a lot of those sort of core decisions are made automatically from the template.
2: That's correct. And that's, that's, that's yep. our hope, is that we're going to get an ecosystem of these templates. I mean... Um, the, the example you just brought up is a great example. We actually, one of the types we have is a multi-line text field. So we have a text field and we have a, a multi-line text field. And today what we, we look at is we look at your database and if, you, if, the, if the column in your database is like an in-text uh, or an in bar car max, um, which are kind of blob fields. Yeah, we the big flip ones. The, yeah, we, we flip to the uh, multi-line text in that particular case. But one thing I've also, I, I haven't mentioned, um, because the OR mapping technology builds these rich CLR objects, that gives us a, a place to go um, give you extensibility hooks. So one of our extensibility hooks is, is attributes. And so let's say that you want to build a, a, a special field template that is a integer slider. I, I want to let somebody choose a value, and it's going to be between 0 and 100, and I want to have a nice slider you move back and forth. Hmm. Well, you might just want to go create a, a field template uh, called an integer slider, and that could be based on, you know, some third parties' uh, controls or the AJAX uh, controls we get, you know, from our, our website, um, build you a field template around integer sliders, and then what you would do is you would go into your data model and say, okay, I'm going to go find a field that uh, maps up to that, and I'm going to go put a what we call a UI hint attribute on there. And that UI hint attribute can actually give us the name of, of the field template you want. So in that case, obviously, we would never go look for, Um, based on the types in the database, we never go look for a a field template called integer slider. Um, So you would go in and place an attribute on that field in your data model and say UI hint integer slider, at which point if we find that control, we'll render that, uh, that column in that table using that custom control.
3: That's interesting. And it's and it's fascinating to me the idea that this is a very data centric way to build web pages, where we're seeing other uh, folks started to focus much more on an, a a page centric way of development that where the database is a lot, lot smaller role.
2: Yeah, um, and, and I, I we should probably jump back and talk about pages as well. I mean, we we kind of drilled into into the. Uh, Field templates, which is how we display a, a field or a, a row or a column in your in your database. Um, the other aspect is, you know, I was, as I was mentioning earlier, you know, we build this this website for you automatically. How does how does that happen? Uh, well, we also have another directory that we call page templates. And what oh. a page template is 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 a template for uh, a page. And so by default, we have two sets of templates in there. We have one called list details. Uh, the list details template. Is when you want to have like a grid in the top part of the screen, and maybe a details view in the bottom part of the screen. And, and as you select something in the grid, um, it'll update the uh, details view in the bottom of the page. And you can edit in in both uh, both of the controls. Uh, and we also have a set of four other templates uh, called list, details, insert, and update. And those are for if you if you prefer the application style where you know, I see a list and I click view or I click edit and it takes me to a separate page uh and that separate page uh contains just like a, a details view. And so right. out of the out of the box, we provide these these uh five sets five templates. And when we build huh. the site dynamically, that's what we're building the, the site on, is is off of these templates. So if you go and change these templates, um, it will affect the overall look and feel of your site, you know, across the board.
3: So are you are effectively regenerating at that point or is this done on the fly anyway?
2: This is all done on the fly. So everything that I'm talking about so far is, is completely on the fly. And, and so you know, we build all this uh, on the fly and the first two customization points that i talked about are I can go and change how my fields are going to be displayed by my modifying these field templates and then I can change the way these global pages are going to be uh, dynamically created by changing these page templates. We also have a the next, the next layer of customization is uh, we have a directory in the dynamic data directory called uh, custom pages. And so what you would do is, let's say your your database has a, a table called products. You would go into the custom pages directory and create a directory called products. And then uh, maybe for the the best way to start this might be just go to our page template directory and copy those templates directly out of the page template directory into the uh, custom pages slash products directory, at which point you have a custom set of pages just for the products table. Um, this is really cool from the standpoint that, as I was saying earlier earlier in our conversation, we let you back yourself out. So you, know, right. you, you start off and modify the field template, then the global page template, and then you can go modify these things on a table-by-table basis um, using just traditional ASP.NET programming. There's no magic here. It's just a web page. You can go change it however you want.
1: Hey, this is Carl, just taking a minute with a message from our friends at Telerik. Do you know how to build Web 2.0 AJAX applications with Web 1.0 components? That's right, you just can't. In order to have next-generation web apps, you need next-generation components. And that's exactly what Telerik has done. Their RAD Controls for ASP.NET AJAX Suite is a huge pack of web controls built on top of Microsoft ASP.NET AJAX, which will add previously impossible performance and interactivity to your next project. Just listen to this. The new controls mirror the ASP.NET AJAX API, so development is straightforward. Client scripts are shared, so loading time is pretty much instant. And if you just set a couple properties you'll be able to automatically bind to web services for even more efficient operation. After all, facts speak for themselves. The new RAD editor for ASP.NET AJAX loads up to four times faster than before. Similarly, RAD Grid handles thousands of records in mere milliseconds. So visit Telerik.com slash ASP.NET AJAX right now and download a trial. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Now, do you have do you have tools that let you model this stuff that you can reverse engineer the code, uh, or is it a one way? Is it a one way generation, basically point and shoot?
2: What do you mean by one way generation?
1: Well, what I mean is when you when you're setting up your website and you pick your your database tables and your schema and you tell it what to do, and then you generate this. Um, is there any sort of model that? Um, you know, just a, a sort of a UI model that it that it uses to to uh, represent what it's going to generate, or you know, like the class builder, for example. Or does well, it uh, does it just generate, and then um, you know, if you want to make changes, you're actually changing the code.
2: So there there is no generation. Okay. So I, I want to make sure. I want to make yeah, sure this is on is the no, fly.
1: Every
3: time the page it, gets requested, you're assembling it from the template. Ah, that
2: that that is correct. It, I, the missed page that. Is being I missed that. I that. Assembled from the template. So the the idea here, you know, um, until you get to that custom page example that I was I was mentioning uh, a second ago, at that point you've actually got a physical page that you're working with. Until then, everything is generated. So you know, you you run this default um, dynamic data application, and you go to the products table. Um, you would go to you know root of your web slash products slash list details. There is no products directory on your web app, and right. there is no page or list details in there. We're we're dynamically I get it. generating so, that.
1: So from, there's from no the yeah. So that that eliminates the need for maintenance of of you know yet another data entity layer. Um,
2: which it, is it, what it I was getting. At. Problem of yeah, it gets, it gets rid of this problem. I think that you're, the the problem you might be talking about is right. the problem of okay. I go run this little command line tool and It generates these pages. And now oh, my data changes go, or
1: something. Yeah.
2: The data changes. What do I do? Right. Well, now you go regenerate the stuff and hope that you haven't made enough changes in the pages that you can, totally.
1: I mean, and that was know. the whole thing I was getting at that. That's the problem with most code generation, but this is not doing that.
2: that exactly. So we're, we're trying to let you uh, not fall down that path. And even, even to the point of when you build those custom pages, um, if you copy our, our page template into the custom page directory, You'll still get the automatic, uh, you know, column generation and all that kind of stuff for free. Uh, but you can change all the markup around it and change all the styling and and whatnot. And we have a, a a rich extensibility model on even changing the way that, that all this stuff looks. You know, for example, you might go, okay, I've got this table products and I don't want to show column foobar and foobar one. Yeah. Well, what you do is, is you go into your data model and you put in a scaffold attribute. On those, on those two columns and say scaffold false. At which point that's a hint to us that you don't want us to display those columns. Let's say you want to go and, and change the, uh, the headers on, on the top of, of your, you know, let's say you're using a grid and you want to go set the, the, the header for a particular column to something. Well, in that case we have a column name attribute that you can go in there and place on the, on your model and tell us what you want us to use there. So the idea is, is is to go and put these attributes on your data model, uh, versus repeatedly in your in your code doing the same thing over and over again. And and we take this all the way into validation as well. We have attributes for uh, we have a required attribute which makes a field required. We have a range attribute which makes a, a field accept uh, values in a certain range. We have a re- regular expression attribute if you want to actually have the the field match a regular expression. Wow. And you can literally go put these on your data model. These are the same controls you would typically put in your web page, and then you go, I want to show this table, this same table in a different web page, and you've got to copy all that logic. And so, these, hmm. these rules probably belong in one spot, not, you know, repeated across your website. So, once, you know, once again, to the idea we were talking earlier is, you know, you, I go modify this in one spot, and it affects my entire website. Yeah. And and we're not the only feature team at Microsoft that's probably going to, to, to go down this path. Um all these attributes that i'm talking about they live in a in a namespace which is system.componentmodel.data data annotations and they were specifically put in a namespace outside of system.web or system.web dynamic data because um, i think you're going to see that that's part of the future direction of where some of the ui generation and and ui handling in in our microsoft products is going to go where you take these rich data models and you mark them up with uh, your attributes and stuff and whether it's consumed by ASP.net or it's consumed by Silverlight, uh, you get the same behavior.
1: Scott, this all sounds great, but I keep can't help but think, where are the gotchas? Are there any trade-offs <laughs> that you... Uh... I, I could think of a couple, but before we dive into that, just one thing I
3: need to clarify. Okay. So where exactly does the data model live?
2: The data model can live wherever you want it to live. Um, if, you, if you, I don't know how much experience you guys have with, with Link to SQL or any of your framework today, but typically what you'll do is you'll, you'll start a project and you'll right click on your project and say add a new item and you'll say Link to SQL classes in the case of, of, of Link to SQL. And what it will do then is, is create a uh, data model inside your project. If it's a website, it'll put it in app, app under code. Um but there's nothing preventing you from actually taking that that data model that I'm talking about and putting it into a class library. So right. I could, I could actually add a class library project, inject my data model into that, and uh, then as long as I share that class library with my website, um, you can then register it in the website and we can you know display it and use it. Uh, we also support more than one data model as well. I want to make sure that people don't go, oh, I've got to build everything in, in one Uh, One data model. Signing the data supports as many data models as you want, so we can can talk to multiple models. Mm.
3: But effectively, Uh, the model becomes the code, which is then read at execution to render pages from. That's correct. Yeah. So uh, getting back to Carl's question, where are the gotchas? My number one concern right off the bat here is going to be performance. So... um,
2: Obviously, the first thing people would go is, "Oh, you're doing all this reflection, and and what's the performance character is going to be like?" Um, we've done a lot of work on 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 perf characteristics, and uh, kind of the way we did that is we we actually built up a web page uh, using all the same techniques that I'm I was talking about before, where we had imagine you have a website built with uh, link data source grid view, and you want to put filters across the top of the page for uh, all your foreign key columns. Uh, you want to do the the name lookups for the uh, foreign keys as well, so you don't show the IDs and show the names. Uh, we've done a lot of a lot of benchmarking, a lot of performance there, and um, we can get ourselves in the in the dynamic generation case. We can get ourselves to within about uh, 10% of of native code. So if you wrote if you just written a thing from scratch, um, we're within about 10% of that.
1: And I imagine uh, caching I is going to help dramatically.
2: That is correct. We we basically we come up and as as we hit a hit a page the first time, we're going to go look at the data model, we're going to cache all the uh the attributes from that data model one time so we don't have to go out there and hit those things again. So we're doing smart caching uh to get it to to do that kind of stuff. Um, part of, you know, if, if if yeah, I don't think we'll ever get to 100% of of native performance uh and and part of that's probably because you know we're doing this this template driven uh design where we're, we're putting these these controls in um, I would argue that if you actually built your own page and you had your own custom controls that you were putting in each column uh, the performance is going to be very similar um, but this seems like a know,
3: logical exchange you know of choice here make an, a substantially more maintainable style of app that's very tolerant to being changed and so on uh, in exchange for some performance
2: yeah and and, and I, I think really, I mean, if you look at it from a from, from the performance standpoint, um, the only time that uh, we would have a negative impact is on a really heavy screen where you have, like, a lot of filters and uh, a lot of columns or whatnot, and, and you would have those same problems today, you know, building a, a stock page. And you yeah. would probably solve those problems doing caching, or you would solve the problems by reducing the amount of data that you show on the page. And I would argue that... that uh, you would solve the problem the same way with us as, as you would do it, you know, um, with a native page.
3: When I, so now I'm thinking that, that this almost reminds me almost of SharePoint in the sense that it's very database centric and performance of the database is the thing I'm going to be the closest eye on.
2: Yeah, I would, I would agree.
1: Wow. Well, then my next question is where can I get it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> give me yeah. some, give me some of that. <laughs> so we have, we have a couple of avenues, um, um, uh, First off, uh, this technology is going to be the the first uh, public preview of the the whole stack is going to be in in .NET 3.5 SP1 beta. Uh, That's due out in the next week or two. Um, By the time this uh, podcast is released, uh, that should have already been released. Um, But we also have a a project up on uh, Code Gallery. Um, Code Gallery is a a Microsoft site uh, very similar to Codeplex the the main difference between code gallery and code flex is code flex is where we would put something that we actually release the source code for and code gallery is more of something where we'd release something that uh, there is no source code for and if you go on to the uh, the code gallery URL is is a uh, code. dot. Um, actually hold on a sec guys let me I got it. make sure i yeah
3: I don't it's com.
2: yeah code.msdn.microsoft.com and in our case our URL is, is code.msdn.microsoft.com slash dynamic data. Okay. Um, that will take you to a, a preview site of dynamic data uh, that has all the binaries, uh, just has a, it's basically a zip file. You copy the zip file down to your box and run a, a batch file inside of there and it will actually get dynamic data up on your box today. It also in, includes a, uh, a component from WebTools uh, Web Tools is, is the, the part of our team that, that lives in Visual Studio and does all the Visual Studio tooling aspects. And so there's actually what we call a Dynamic Data Wizard uh, that that team has built, and that that is part of uh, this preview as well. The uh, uh, I want to want to talk about their their tool just a little bit. Um, their tool is kind of neat from the standpoint of you know I've, we've kind of talked uh, so far about you know our stuff dynamically building these pages. And then I talked briefly about if you want to really go back to and, and be able to fully customize a page, you can create a custom page and go in and, and just use your your typical ASP.NET skills um, to edit that page. Um, the Dynamic Data Wizard will actually build those custom pages automatically for you, so you can go in there and say, okay, for the I've decided that in the in the products table, I want to build a, a custom page and, and go modify the source code by hand. And so you can go click, I want to go build a custom page, and you can say you can you'll be able to choose from a couple of styles, you know, whether you want to let the crud operations be there, uh, do you want to have uh just a list or, or a list and a and the details hmm. in the same page? You can just set check some boxes and it actually does code generation. Okay. Um, it's still it's doing the code generation, it's still using our 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 controls for the code generation, which means you get all the benefits of the field templates and stuff that I mentioned earlier. But it actually builds you a physical page, and and our hope is that that's for the developer that that uh, wants to actually work with a custom page, and it just gives you a kind of wizard to go through and and create those custom pages that you can then walk in and and start uh, hand tooling. Obviously, you know because it's building a physical page, um, that brings some of the negatives that we talked about earlier of having physical right. pages. Um, but you know th- that's the great thing about this feature is we offer you the choice. Um, you can go down the dynamic path. Or you can go down the custom page path. That's, that's kind of that fallback I was talking about earlier where you start off and we go your your first lines of, of customization is probably putting metadata on your data model. Uh, your next line is probably to go and, and take your field template directory and put some cool controls in there to change the way we render columns and the way we do some validation. Uh, the next step is probably to go and customize the global look of your feel of your application by modifying those global page templates. And then finally, if, if you really feel like you need to get down to the nitty gritty bare bones, uh, go and put a custom page in our custom page directory and, you know, you're, you're back to being a, a ASP.NET developer, uh, using all the skills you've learned over the last, you know, couple of years. Um, but you're still getting the benefits of our, our custom controls because, you know, we're doing the validation for you automatically and we're doing the, the fields, uh, field templates instead of, you know, Hard coding the, uh, the logic for the rendering.
1: Scott, is, there, uh, is it easy to modify the templates to use ASP.NET AJAX? Is it as easy sure. as I think it is?
2: Yeah, act- actually, the templates uh, by default ship with um, update panels in them out of the box. So huh. they're actually AJAX enabled um, out of the box.
3: Wow, great. So are the control vendors going to have to build controls to work with dynamic data specifically?
2: Um, you don't really have to build a control what you just do the is, is right? these, these field templates that we talked about before um, all you would really do is they would go build a, a custom set of field templates and a, and right. a field template is, is a really simple control um, if you it, it, it's it's uh, it's basically a custom control um, but it has a, a base class it's a, a, a dynamic data base class um, and then all you do you can just drag whatever controls you want in there and obviously uh, we have two events that you need to hook up to is you need to tell us how to set the value to the control and how to get the value out of the control. Right. And so really writing one of these wrappers, um, um, I wrote, wrote some of these wrappers myself for, uh, both the Telerik and the, uh, Peter Blum controls one day and they take 10 or 15 minutes of control, uh, to do. So, they're, so we they're don't have template. to
3: wait for our vendors to do it. If we feel like we need to use this control, we just add, develop the template ourselves. Exactly. And that's really about describing to the dynamic data libraries how to interact with the control.
2: That's exactly right. Basically, it's, it's okay, when, I, when data comes in, where do you stick the data? So, um, you know, all these controls have, probably have a different way to actually inject a value into them. So you've got to write the, typically it's a one-liner to uh, inject the data into a certain property on the control. Right. And the reverse is true as well. You just want to go pull the data out of a, out of a, a value in the control. And that's really all that we need to know to to do all of our magic. So, what uh, about
3: some of the validation features? You, those other parts we could describe there as well.
2: Yeah. Uh, so the way that works is, um, if you look at the, you know, what's what's great about this, as I was saying earlier, is we we give the source code to our all the default field templates. So you have a great blueprint to go look at to see how we actually built the the current uh, field templates, and really. If you think of it, let's let's say you and I decided we're going to go write a a datetime field template using the uh the Teller controls what we would probably do is is drag their date uh datetime control into the page and then we'd want to drag probably an asp.net uh required field validator in the in the page maybe an asp.net uh, range validator in the page um, and then what's going to happen is one of the other things exposed by these these field template uh, the field template base class is going to be a list of these attributes that uh, had been stuck onto the data model. And so what you can then do is you can go look and ask, ask the uh, attribute collection, do you have a required attribute? And if you do, then you go enable the required field validator. Do right. I have a range attribute? And if, and if there's a range attribute there, when you when you pull that range attribute out, it's going to have the min and the max and the error message. And so you can then take the min and the max, uh, associate those with the, the range validation control, and associate the error message with it. So. If you really look at it, you know you're going to figure. If you're going to write your own field template, you're probably going to go, okay, I'm going to start off and, and put my control in there, and then I'm going to go, what types of validation makes sense for this particular control? And I go, ah, in this case, I think it's probably it could be required, and it might have a range, um, and it might, and you, and you might, depending on the control, it might be. Uh, I want to make sure it's a certain type. If you're doing text input, uh, that's something I, I skipped over earlier. Is if you've ever built a site with with uh, our stock controls they don't really do any of the type checking for you. So if you yeah. have an inter- integer field and you type in hello in there, uh, you'll get an error back, but the error is going to come back from the, the database layer. And right, so it's going to
3: just get passed through and it's not until the database, which hopefully has some checking in it, you SQL injection mm-hmm. folks, is going to spit it back and, and you've, you've had to pay the full cycle all the way there and back to deal with that.
2: And you're going to get an ugly looking error message as well, as well at that point that says, you know, you cannot uh, convert type it cannot convert hello to yeah, integer to type an or
4: something, integer. something
2: something that's not you know useful to the uh, to the actual consumer of the application. Right. And most most of our built-in field templates also are doing a, a type check as well. So if you have an integer field, it's going to actually check to see if it is a numeric value before it tries to shove it in there. So
3: and is that validation um, at the browser or is that at the at the server?
2: Um, it will be both. Um, we're, okay. we're just, we just, we built all of our default field templates are, are built on the stock, um, ASP validation controls. So oh, I get it, a, right. you know, there's a compare validator, which we use for, uh, the type conversions, uh, our type checking, and it's got both a client side and a server side. So, yeah. uh,
3: and also see where you put in range limits like that, where something like a slider control would automatically range to the limit.
2: That's exactly correct. So I was going to say that that's one of the really cool aspects of, of we have a, we have a couple of samples that do that where it's like okay, so since I've got an integer field and I've got a range control in it, if you're building it with a slider control, then you might as well have the slider go look at that range and set its min and max values to the range. Right. Um, which is which is really cool. So it's
1: text areas, for example, text input, setting the maximum number of characters.
2: Yeah, text input's a great one as well uh, uh, from the standpoint that. Uh, you know, by default, if you put a, a, one of our, uh, ASP text box controls on the page and set it to multi-line, one of the negatives of, of a, of a text area is it doesn't, it doesn't, um, adhere to the max characters that you set. Right. Um, HTML doesn't support that, but our validation runs on both client and server, so even though the client side doesn't check that, our server side will check that and actually throw a, uh, you know, it'll tell you on the screen that, hey, you've typed too many characters in this field.
3: And if you've Um, wrapped a template around a third-party control that does handle that, then you would get client-side validation.
2: Exactly. If you've got a nice third-party control that does full validation, then just go um, grab the max length from our our attribute list and take the value from that, shove it in the control, and And uh, you'll get that automatically.
1: What do the MVC people think about this? The model view controller I just feel like this is the opposite of MVC. It it totally is. I mean, it's sort of, you know... um, you know, separation of concerns isn't really what's going on here, is it?
2: The the MVC uh, is an interesting issue for us because we, we actually uh, um, plan on doing uh, our next project is to actually convert what we've done for web forms with dynamic data and convert that into the MVC world. Really? Wow. Yeah. I
3: love and, that. But yeah. where are you going to do without web controls?
2: And, wow. and so that that that's you know if you really look at if you look at the MVC world, um, there really isn't a control model today, and, and it's right, got right. its pros and its yeah. and its cons. Um, and with with not having a control model, you, there's not a, there's also not a validation model as well,
4: right, right. And
2: so once once again, we we want to stick with our uh, one of the one of the premier basis around this dynamic data and and some of this data model driven technology that we're working on at Microsoft is that the way you should do some of this stuff is you should go and take your data model and put these attributes all of your data model, um, which means, you know, once they're on the data model, uh, there's nothing that prevents us from exposing that same information to MVC. So when you're building a, a view in MVC, um, it can go and ask the data model for the length of a field. It can go ask it if it's required and then make make the same right choices as well. So I think what you're going to see is you're going to see something uh, where we're going to have some, like, helpers um that you can actually place in in an MVC view uh that will do basically the same kinds of logic that I was talking about before, to be template based. So um, maybe I've got a uh a table that's associated with a with a view in MVC and and uh or a controller and when I'm in when I'm in my view, I might want to say uh I want Dynamic Data Helper to uh display this field. And we'll go through and, and look up the template just like we did in the web forms world and inject the right HTML in there. Obviously it won't be using any controls. it'll just be raw markup. Um, but we can build some smarts into that raw markup. We can do edits and and in the case of doing an edit, you know we'll do the same validation that I, I was talking about earlier. Uh, that might mean that we're using Ajax to do the client side uh, stuff. And then for our server-side stuff we'll be using the same you know server-side checks we were that already existed, that we're using in the web points world. So uh, it's going to be an interesting mix uh, to see how how we can blend this in. And that's really, to me, where where this stuff really starts looking more like the, the Rails stuff. Mm.
3: Um, it does sound like done. a non-trivial challenge to get all of that working on the MVC side, to get those templates set up. But it, you you I years, it feels things. like I have a lot of choice. However, I would like to create those uh, validation solutions, I could do it.
2: That's correct. We're not going to force you down any particular path. You know, we're not going to require you to do a post back model or uh, require any of that stuff. Obviously, from our standpoint, um, the Web Forms version was very easy for us to write because we got a lot of that stuff for free. Right. And so the, the field templates in the MVC world are going to be uh, quite a bit more complicated because they're going to just be generating raw HTML markup. And um, as I said, we will do client-side validation, I'm, I'm pretty sure. and and well, be because just, it know, can be
3: done in in JavaScript and so forth, it's just a question of are you going to put in the work to make the template that would do it.
2: That's correct, and and we are we are, that's our goal is for our, for version one of that is I I really hope that that we can get the validation both client and server side to be completely on par with the uh, the web form version. And, yeah, and I, I don't the, imagine and that's going to
3: happen next week or anything but uh, it, it is a possibility and it, and it looks very interesting interesting way to approach the
2: problem so and, and as I said I think I think in some ways we're going to give you a, a lightweight control mechanism as well because these field templates uh, in some ways you could look at them as lightweight controls you know that um, which I think will solve a, a problem that MVC has today where um, you know obviously um, if you took a, a really complicated web page today that had lots of forms and stuff like that you know it, it, it's it's quite a bit of work to get that running in NBC and, and uh, our hope is that we can, we can make that uh, experience a lot better. And at the same time, you know, let the NBC developer determine how much they want to buy in and, or how little they want to buy in. Yeah, you know, sure. and for, that, that, that's the real trick of this is going into that, into that model is, you know, I don't want to force anything upon those developers. It's like you, you can buy into, buy into this technology as much as you want or as little as you want. And, and you can choose on a on a view view by view or controller by controller basis how much you want to buy into this stuff. So, um, you know, yeah, keep, keep there's the lots MVC of choice it.
3: there. I think you know another key element that I think the MVC folks are very focused on is this testability separation concern point of view. And uh, I think templating looks does approach that problem in a different way.
2: Yeah, that's that's obviously going to be one of our challenges is trying to make sure that these templates you know are all testable uh you know in in conversations with you know phil hack and i obviously have had had lots of conversations about this um um, for people that on the that are listening to this that don't know phil phil is the uh program manager on the mvc project and are you guys uh,
3: effectively peers you're working data dynamic data and he's working on mvc that's correct and then you have lunch and argue
2: and we have lunch and argue, and we're actually uh, no more than about ten feet from each other because he's in the next office next to me. So nice. Um, so uh, we we collaborate on this all the time, and and you know we've talked about the the templates from the standpoint of of how you, how you make these testable, and 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 I, I think the idea will be uh, they will be something that you will test outside of the actual view or outside of the controller or whatnot. So it, you know, Phil Phil's idea at the time was. The last time we talked about this was you know you test these things and once you know that they work, then you put them in the NBC project and don't worry about having to test them on the individual pages because you have some suite that runs outside of those those pages that that that, uh, that test these things. But that that's going to be something we have to address is, is how do you make these things testable because that that's obviously one of I I think that's one of the biggest strengths of NBC. Yeah, you know even even myself from from my, my past background I mean that was. Um, you know, the negative of, of web form work is the only good way to test it is to you know, typically have people pound on it. And, uh, you know, as you're running big big sites for big corporations, it's great to be able to sit there and run a test suite through the thing. So I'm looking forward to the challenge.
3: Absolutely. You know, that sort of brings up something we mentioned way at the beginning here. You've only been with Microsoft for a year, but you've been in this business for a long time. What were you doing before you landed in Scott Gu's team?
2: <laughs> um, uh couple things actually so uh, uh, I uh, first off I, I built a uh, uh, social networking site around the trade show industry uh, there's a site out there called eventmingle.com
3: oh I know um, eventmingle as a guy who goes to a lot of trade shows <laughs>
2: and uh, yeah so I, I actually uh, that was a fun project that I, I did a couple years ago uh, we built that up from scratch and it's, it's a social networking site all built on asp.net that's, that's around the trade show space. And, uh, that was a, a, startup company that I, I worked for and, and, and built that application out. Uh, so I, I, so I built a couple of, uh, really public, uh, sites like that. Um, but I also spent a lot of the last, uh, four or five years, uh, doing consulting for, uh, the oil industry in California. Oh, wow. And so we were basically building applications in .NET that managed all the oil fields in California. So if you want to go turn a well on and off anywhere in the, in, in, in in California you know our software was actually working on that if you want to measure um, you know how much steams going down in the well how much water is going down in the well what's coming out of the well uh, uh, imagine a massive application that that, that uh, managed that 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 kind of stuff across the entire state. really cool very large very distributed um, some of it was built on legacy legacy platform but as uh, over the last couple of years, we've been slowly rolling that into, and we were rolling that more into more .NET. So moving away from the thick client onto the ASP.net platform from the standpoint of, uh you know, this solved all the installation issues uh of trying to deploy a, a big thick application everywhere. And so basically I, uh, for the last couple of years been working on basically moving them from thick client to thin client. And, uh and that's what kind of led me here was, you know, I, seven or eight years of ASP.NET development, loved it, and uh, wanted to come up here and, and see if I can make it better myself. Um, so
1: you mentioned that you're bringing the, uh, the MVC architecture into uh, dynamic data. What other things do you have in your bag of tricks that, uh, that you can actually disclose <laughs> <laughs> about your plans for the future?
2: Um, some of the some, that, that, That's obviously one of the, the major mainstream points of our, of our plans for the future, uh, something else that I think you could see us, us working on in the future, um, we're going to work on uh, some of the, the limitations of web forms uh, that we know today. Um, one of those is, you know, it, one of the negatives of web forms and one of the reasons that people might be driven to MVC is, is these ugly IDs. Um, yeah. I know we, have some, we have some work going on to uh, try to give web forms users control of those IDs back so you can... Uh, Form one. Yeah. Uh, uh, solve some of those issues uh, from, from my standpoint you know, from a uh, data driven standpoint uh, one of the things that you're going to see from us is uh, one of the negatives of grid view and some of those controls is, um, is the amount of view state that they generate if you if you leave view state turned on
4: mm-hmm.
2: and we're going to work on trying to uh, make those controls work better with view state off completely. There's still a, a couple of issues with, with some of those controls with view state turned off and we're going to address those um, we're also going to focus on, um, if you look at uh, the new database that's coming out of Microsoft Catmai, um hmm. and the Entity Framework, which is a fancier OR mapping technology than Link to SQL. Um, Entity Framework's exciting from the standpoint that if you look at Link to SQL, the negative of it is it only works with SQL Server. Um, it doesn't right. work with any other databases right now. And, yeah. and, and one of the big strengths of Entity Framework is it's going to go out and work with uh, pretty much any database. Um, but Interview Framework supports uh, some concepts that Link to SQL doesn't support, and that's, it, it supports things like many-to-many relationships. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to look at, at trying to make data controls that, that, that support many-to-many, many-to-many relationships better. Um, something else it supports is, is uh, non-rectangular data, um, where you can actually have you know a table that that Interview Framework brings back, and it could have managers and people and employees. Sort of a and, flat uh, view. You know, yeah, we got to, we have to we have to find some way to take our existing data controls and allow them to display that data yeah. uh, in a, in a better way. And and another exciting aspect of the new framework um, is it also supports complex types. So, hmm. you know, right. now imagine that you have a, a a person and a person has a home address and they have a work address, and each of those has all the address fields. You know, how do we bring that into our existing data controls today? Right. And so I think a lot of some of the some of the emphasis you're gonna see from us, you know, other than the MVC dynamic data work, uh you're gonna see us you know trying to trying to solve some of these other features that, that we get from the newer databases.
1: You know, um, uh, being, Scott, you brought up a couple of times things like View State and and the database access requiring, you know, some caching to get the most performance out of it. I can't help but thinking of uh Strange Loops Box, which is a company Richard's involved with. They they have an appliance for uh, that's smart about .NET, and it sits between the your uh, router and your web farm and sort of inspects the stuff that comes through and strips out the view state and does dynamic caching and things like that. Richard, don't you think, I mean, you must have thought of it too during this. Oh, whole... I was thinking that. I just wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, wow, dynamic data is Strangeloop's friend. Yeah, I was just, and if you don't know what Strangeloop is, you can go to strangeloopnetworks.com and uh, check it out. It's an amazing appliance. But I mean, it's interesting. As usual, Microsoft creates these opportunities
3: where you're certainly focused on the developer having a great experience building apps quickly. I think that's always been ASP.NET's strength is the fastest app with the most features out the door. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that sacrifices performance. You know, folks get more successful with their app than they planned on, and suddenly they have many more users, and they're looking at what do I do next. And we certainly as a third party have said here's an opportunity for us to step in and make things easier for you but it also sounds like you're working on those problems too
2: yeah well, i mean obviously the the, the the one area of that problem that i, I want to work on is is, I, is is there's some there's some known issues with like grid view uh, with view state turned off right. and you know I, I i can't solve the size of view state all those issues but but i, I can try to make it work if you want to turn it off i i want to make the controls work better have higher fidelity with that stuff turned off, yeah, and that's, that's right. obviously a, uh, something we want to work on. And, and even maybe, um, if if view state is turned on, uh, find a way to, to not put as much stuff into view state. I mean, if you look at a grid view today, you know it piles a, a whole ton of stuff into view state, and uh, maybe you don't need all of that. Maybe you just need the data in view state. You don't need the uh, properties from the controls. Maybe you need some way of of, of having an opt in where you can actually determine you know which stuff goes into View State. I mean that's uh, I think that's one of the things that 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 we regret that we turn View State on by default um, uh, because mm-hmm. you know people don't understand it's even there and don't even know about it. And and you know you can obviously you know it sounds like you've already got an appliance that, that helps with this, but you know you can obviously improve the performance of an application by turning some sure. stuff off.
1: Right. Well, Scott, uh, it's been a fascinating hour. I've I've enjoyed uh, learning about dynamic data, and I'm personally downloading it right now, as a matter of fact. (laughs) As soon as you gave me the URL, I started downloading it. So I can't wait to get my hands on it. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Okay, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. online at www.franklins.net. For more .Net Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a band by the FCC. Life is hard.